welcome to the Total Soccer Show Weekend Review! Yes, Luton Town won and Man City were defeated and Man United's recent form was duly repeated. But if we're discussing the biggest loss of the weekend by far, it's the heavy defeat suffered by VAR. Liverpool lost out because they didn't draw any lines, but we're sure Jurgen Klopp took the news just fine. Elsewhere, Inter Milan and Napoli looked hotter than Arizona, while Sergio Ramos scored for Barcelona. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your friend of mine, Mr. Taylor Rockingwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello. Uh, as long as this episode ends with no one threatening legal action, a la Liverpool, then I'm going to say it was a successful weekend review. I hope that Liverpool don't issue a statement after this podcast, uh, suggesting that they are exercising their options based on what we've said. Yes, that, that, would yeah. be, that would be a bad thing. And if so, I think we've all collectively agreed that it's Graham's fault. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. <laughs> Liverpool, by the way, your options are keep complaining or don't keep complaining. That's your <laughs> options at this point. Anyway, uh, joining us, Joe Lowry, still in the confines of his Italian studio. Hello, Joe. Hello, Ryan. Even though I'm not in Arizona, I am. I'm just honored that Arizona made the intro. I know it was just to rhyme with Barcelona, but like, mm. you know what? I'm I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of my state. <laughs> Good job, Arizona. You made it in. Yep. Uh, that's I think the biggest thing we've got to talk about today. Absolutely. So I use the rhyming dictionary or my rhyming dictionary for future armor fans. And uh, yeah, the only thing that came up for Barcelona was Arizona. So are we talking are. are we talking rhymezone.com? Where, what are we using these days? I use rhymezone.com. Yes. Nice. Pretty nice. Much. Exclusively. Wait, <laughs> you, is you that how you do this? The trade. Is that how you do this? I quite often reference rhymezone.com. I'm, I'm not going to lie. But also, it Did does. It's, do um, rhymezone is uh, tailored to the US accent and it doesn't always work for me. I'll say that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I never thought about that. Uh. Indeed, indeed. It's a, it's a myriad of uh, difficulties when I write these things. But Joe, thank you very much. Joining us, guess who's back? Back again. Graham's back. Tell a friend. Graham Ruffin here. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan. Is that an Eminem reference? Because I now have blonde hair. Is that where you're going with that one? Uh, yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, subconsciously, you have brought Eminem out of me because of your lovely bleached locks, Graham. How was your vacation in Spain? Um, it, it was good, Ryan. Thank you. Very, very well rested after a week of still doing work just in a different country. But I, I did visit a hard, a nice hard rock cafe, though. So you, you'll be pleased about that. I was very pleased. And our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, can even see you doing a tour of that Hard Rock Cafe. Yes, uh, subscribers to this soccer podcast, you can go see Graham look at a Hard Rock Cafe hotel on our Patreon. That is the exclusive content we're offering you. But it looked lovely. Riveting. Your villa looked lovely. Riveting indeed, Graham. Uh, I'm glad you had a very good, well-rested time. The freelancer lifestyle is just doing work in a different location slash doing childcare in a different location. That's what exactly. vacations uh, amount to these days for me as well. Wonderful, wonderful stuff all right patreon.com slash total soccer show once again if you'd like to support us via that manny by that manner excuse me where we say words incorrectly sometimes like that please do so we would appreciate you very much lots to get to from this weekend lots of premier league news as well goodness me but we uh we should probably start off with the biggest game of the premier league weekend if you are looking at rules and technology I suppose. Tottenham 2, Liverpool 1. A controversial win here for Spurs. Joel Matip with an own goal deep in injury time. Pretty rough, I thought, as Liverpool were defending pretty well with the man disadvantage they had at that point. They were down to nine men. Two red cards for Liverpool. One with a contentious VAR intervention. More on those uh, that acronym very shortly. Um, so, Taylor, we should probably start off with the VAR controversy uh, mm-hmm. with the with the goal that would have put um, put, put Liverpool ahead for uh, Luis Diaz. 
Uh, PGML, the Referees Association, has admitted a significant human error that they were responsible for that being correctly ruled out for offside. No graphics were shown, or no lines were shown on the field on the broadcast for this one. It was a very confusing time. We're sort of uh, texting, texting each other in our chat saying, Surely that was onside, but it transpires. I think uh, Dale Johnson was one of the first to break this on Twitter slash X that uh, Darren England, the VAR, was uh, checking the offside, thinking the on-field decision was a goal. The on-field decision was not a goal. So after that, he said, check complete, thumbs up. Oh, I did the wrong thing. So essentially, Taylor, it seems the TLDR is we can put this down to a bit of human error on his part rather than the VAR misbehaving. But the protocols here were pretty shocking. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely put it down to the human error. But starting there, like everything we've heard about VAR is that you have multiple people involved and you have people conducting the the video replay and then you have people analyzing the video replay. And I don't know if the Premier League is different where maybe they just have one person locked in a room, a la Joe Lowry in Italy. But the idea that nobody was like, wait, wait, just so you know, the decision on, on the field was offside. That just feels like there should be somebody there clarifying what the original decision was to start. And then it feels very odd that once there is a very obvious mistake made, and this wasn't the type of thing that took a couple minutes to realize, like, oh, no, wait, we got this wrong. As soon as play resumed from, like, where the offside line would have been, I feel like the VAR official could have said, like, wait, 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 hold on, bring that ball back. We've made a mistake here. And I guess that's against the rules. But at the same time, when you very clearly (laughs) made this high profile of an error and I would note an error that completely changes the way the game is played out because at this point Liverpool down a man they score this goal in the 34th that is then disallowed and not even two minutes later Tottenham have scored and they're one nil ahead and now if you're Liverpool you have to change your game plan and they do and they get a goal back but they're chasing at that point whereas they could have been setting up and looking to counter and looking to frustrate and and it really does change the entire course of this game and there are other, I think, infractions that Jurgen Klopp uh, will probably feel uh, pretty chagrined by. But this one was the the most high profile and probably maybe the most high profile VAR mistake I we've ever seen yeah. in, in my mind, at least. Yeah, it, it was like an episode of Punked, right? You know, where they have someone in a room in a separate location and they've got their they're wired up to someone like Ashton Kutcher or something <laughs> on the ground and they're going, OK, now send someone off. Right, now disallow a goal and see how irate they can get about it. Um, but yes, yeah, some of the, the, the decision making in this game left a lot to be desired. It felt like the officials got wrapped up in their protocol where, Taylor, you're, you're right, that they're not allowed to, once the game is restarted, they're not allowed to go back to the decision but come on, have some autonomy in that moment where very quickly Darren England would have realised he was the VAR for this game. He would have realised that the wrong decision had been reached once the game is restarted and a little bit of autonomy just to say, okay, I know this is breaking the rules, but there's something's gone wrong here. Um, and also they're not allowed to say the word goal is something that I have learned since this, this has happened. The VAR is not allowed to say the word goal to the on-field officials because it what? sounds like no goal. <laughs> That's completely true. What? 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 Because I mean, what? Yeah, technically, I guess, technically, I it uses it uses the same word. I guess there's a key other word thrown in there that makes it a little bit different. Yeah. yeah so I, I just, obviously, we don't get the audio track, but if, if mm-hmm. we, I think actually today we are going to get the audio track from this match. The PGMOL are going to release it because there's just such pressure oh, the on them at the moment, and they will never in that track they will not say the word goal. I'm led to believe that was Dale Johnson again, who is very much. I would recommend him as a follow on on X or Twitter or whatever we're calling that these days because he is very clued up on all refereeing things, and it was him that said, "Yeah, they don't use that word." 
Wow. Watching um, watching this on delay was very interesting because I watched this after the game had finished, kind of knowing, sort of knowing what had happened. I knew Liverpool had had a goal incorrectly disallowed, and I knew that there was a VAR controversy involved in there as well. And a thing that I thought was interesting, if not maybe not surprising, but still interesting, is is how little coverage it got during the game at halftime and in the post game. Right. That it was right. very much like, oh yeah, I mean, to my eye, it seemed like he was on, but we don't have the angle. And then at halftime. I think they said roughly the same thing very quickly of like seemed onside, but that's how it goes offside. And, and it, and it was an odd moment for me of like how quickly we have just had to accept that like VAR is correct. And even if, even if it doesn't yeah. seem that way, typically the line is going to be drawn and they're, you know, a, a shoelace offside or whatever it is. And it was just an odd moment of like knowing a decision had been incorrectly made and seeing everyone sort of just get on with it and be about their business was an odd juxtaposition that I'm not quite sure makes me fully comfortable with VAR. And I'm not yeah. trying to legislate VAR. That's not a conversation we want to have. I know Joe will quickly fall asleep and walk away from his mic. Uh, but it was <laughs> just, just a this. very strange moment that everyone has kind of learned to just get on with it and assume that the computer is correct. And in this case, it definitely was not. Yeah, I, I, you guys have made the appropriate jokes. I don't. I, I find it very difficult to get excited and energized by refereeing discussion. So much of it feels lazy and just as an excuse for why a result did or didn't go your way when there are other factors at play. You're you're the lazy one. I I think, well, that's why I say so much of it because Taylor, I think you're right in the grand scheme of VAR. Now it hasn't been around for very long at this point. This is the single biggest VAR mishap that has ever happened. Like goals are worth so much money and a goal in this particular game that would have completely changed the outcome of the game and how it had to be played and how Tottenham respond Liverpool and Taylor, credit to you. You talked about some of those things as well. This is massive. Like, this is absolutely massive. I would not go nearly as far as as maybe some other people that are on this recording session about what should be done about this. I, I would think of Get this of as, a, as a what? <laughs> yeah, Graham's what I was talking about. As Put I think of this as like a one-off era, <laughs> error, given that we've never seen something like this before. Uh, but this is massive. And Liverpool fans have every right to be livid about how this has gone down. It is absurd the way that it was responded to on the day in that there was no real action taken for all of the many reasons and mistakes that have already been discussed. Taylor, the, the acceptance that you were talking about there and just mm-hmm. and just getting on with it during the match, I think is actually really important because we have seen a number of marginal offside decisions that to the naked eye, to our eye, kind of look like the wrong decision, but we've been told, well, these cameras are calibrated and you know, there's people, there's four people in a room checking this and they can't mm-hmm. possibly get the wrong decision. Well, they did get the wrong decision in this match. And so trust, I think, is going to be an yep. issue for, for VAR going forward. Already this season, we've had the Onana incident at the start of the season with Manchester United and Wolves. We've had Mike Dean come out in an interview. He's now retired now, but he was a Premier League referee as recently as, as last season, I think. Coming out in an interview and saying that he refused to send a colleague to a pitch side monitor because essentially he felt bad for him. He'd had a difficult game and he didn't want him to suffer any more grief. That is, quite frankly, unacceptable. And that feeds into the conspiracy theories and the paranoia. And when I say get rid of VR, it's not necessarily because I think VR is leading to bad decisions. Obviously, this is a a particularly bad decision. 
I think on the most part, VR is improving the decision-making process in, in football. But the discourse is completely exhausting. I turn on the radio on, on, on the way to Sterling Albion games at the weekend, and every single week there's a debate about VR. Every week in the Premier League, there's at least one big VR farce or controversy, and mm. it just completely dominates the agenda. And we're feeding into it right now. We're spending yeah. mm. 10 minutes at the start of this podcast that I wish we were talking about soccer, talking about VR. I just don't think it has improved my enjoyment of, of football at all. It has for me, to some extent, to be honest. I really enjoy knowing that when my team has conceded a goal, there's a chance it's coming back. And there is that, like, at the very least, you're not going to have that Henri moment where it's like, this is clearly an injustice, it should be overturned, and instead the goal is going to count, and this feels like a travesty. So in some ways, I like it. I think the, the frustrating thing for me about this decision, about this moment, is to your point, Graham, to your point, Joe, so often conversations about VAR are tedious and dull and they just it gets to the heart of the matter of it feels like it shouldn't happen. It feels like that shouldn't have been chalked off. Yes, he was offside, but it was it was one half inch. It's ridiculous. But in this case, and, and I think in those moments, we're able to point to, look, there's the line. There's where they captured it. He is technically offside. That goal has got to come back. And, and And I think we are willing to give the benefit of the doubt to those lines, to that technology. And now the door is open that like maybe they got it wrong. Maybe they miscommunicated. And, and I think that is a, a pretty sizable issue. And it, and it means that there has to be better communication or better dialogue. And there has to be a better process for if something goes wrong. And I know, again, you can't 15 minutes later go back and be like, never mind. Scratch those last 15 minutes that we played. We're going to award that goal. I think when they release the audio, the timing of when they realize they made a mistake is going to be very important because if it's, 30 seconds after play has resumed to me even if it's against the rules there is ample opportunity to stop play and admit we made a mistake clarify that there was confusion and then reset because otherwise if they say wait that should have been a goal 15 30 seconds after the after play resumes and the official says like ah too late now like i just think that's going to be an incredibly bad look for protecting the sanctity quote-unquote of var as opposed to dealing with the awkwardness of we got this wrong we need to fix it it would be the equivalent of like when i forget which movie was erroneously awarded best picture at the oscars by the like the presenter who read the wrong name la la land was it la la, la, la land, land? Yeah. yeah versus moonlight maybe uh That's i right. can't remember which one won uh but it would be like if they just decided now nah, we're giving it to la la land like yeah. the person read it wrong so it stays that way because it's been decided it just feels very odd and very wrong even if it's like technically within the rules and i think that's where a lot of my frustration uh comes from that's the key thing and it's their rules taylor they've imposed this rule on themselves Mm -hmm. that they can't stop and restart and say look we we hold our hands up we got it wrong and that that for me completely affects the integrity of the system and i think generally var is a good thing but i'm bothered by that and i'm also bothered by the fact that it's not applied the same ways in different leagues or different stadiums and obviously some leagues don't have it so technically my team, AFC Wimbledon, plays to different rules to a Premier League team. And that, for the actual integrity of the rules, I think is yeah. is questionable as well. There's not much we can do about that. But, um, yeah, let's let's stop talking about that, Joe. No, anything about we've, the soccer... We've, review, we've reviewed this game fully. I think we're good to go. What else <laughs> needs to be said? Uh, yeah. th- this is a game that was definitely overshadowed by the VAR controversy. And, and I think who you support will uh, indicate how much controversy you think there was. Because it starts with chaos. the Curtis... With the Curtis uh, Jones red card initially given as a yellow for uh, the 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 tackle on uh, Basuma, I believe it was. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's it then it's over. It's the yellow is overturned. It's turned to a red because he comes over the ball. It's a straight leg, and I agree with that the one's correct, I right? Think, 
Yeah, that, I think for so. sure was a great decision. Lee Dixon, yeah. <laughs> I think, in saying that it never should have been a red, all, did make a valid point that when you freeze frame it at that point of impact, it looks fully vicious. It looks like an intentional mm. I'm trying to break his leg challenge, and it wasn't. But if we're looking at what is a red card, it's reckless, it's out of control, it's dangerous. That's what yeah, that it's, challenge was. It's not was. malicious, but it's a red card. It's not malicious. Yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. So I, I think that one was the correct decision. I think the two yellows for Jota were, were the correct decisions. I the think first one, just... do you think the first one is correct? He doesn't touch as a, a, a doji or, or basuma. There's, a, there's a tiny little clip, isn't there? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't mean, think I, I saw a touch I, we, there. We go back to that thing of like, if you're running at full speed and your stride is impacted at all, you're going to fall and it's going to look like that. a dive. It's going to look like you went easily. I also just don't think Adogi would have had much reason to go down at that point because he is sort of driving forward with the ball. It feels like a counterattack is on. So I, I guess Graham will disagree with me about that first one. The second one, though, I just feel like Jota just completely lost his mind there for a moment yeah. because he's, he's on the ball. He's in a good spot. He tries to do too much. He loses it. He realizes he's put his team in a dangerous position. And in sort of desperation trying to win it back, overcommits, uh, kicks the leg and not the ball, and that's always going to be a yellow card. So I think he really hurt his team by at the very least picking up that second one when he should have known better and just maybe gotten rid of the ball or made some better choices. But to Ryan's initial introduction, it does feel like, with all that said, Liverpool able to hold on and fight so much and even score a goal despite being a man down. For them to concede the way they do, how they did with Matip, clearly just trying to get to it and put it back out for a corner and just gets the angle wrong, just mishits a a little bit and ends up with a very nice volley, to his credit, just maybe in the wrong goal. But it felt so wrong (laughs) for the way the game went, for the way it played out, for the disallowed goal, for them to have hung on for so long and then in the 90 plus sixth minute uh concede that one with the what like 30 seconds left just a brutal way to lose that game for liverpool immediately after matip puts the ball into his own net and that's 2-1 for for tottenham allison comes up and and consoles him and in that moment i'm thinking Mm -hmm. every liverpool player is thinking this could not have possibly been a worse day for us like there's just nothing that we could have done on the field today to change the result between the refereeing decisions that, whether or not they were right or wrong for the cards, they didn't go Liverpool's way. And the VAR decision certainly did not go Liverpool's way. In that moment, that that relatively routine matchup attempted clearance doesn't go their way. Allison comes over and consoles them. And it, it's very clear at that point that not only have Liverpool lost, but there was just seemingly not anything they could do to actually get the job done. Which is a shame, right? All these things are a shame. Because this match, I was really, really looking forward to this game. Like, genuinely getting to watch more of Tottenham who've been really fun, unexpectedly so. Um, we certainly never talked about that before. And Liverpool, who are new look and mostly playing without a number six still, even though they, they signed Endo, who's playing here and there, but they they enter this game with McAllister as their number six, as they did earlier on in the year. That's been a ton of fun, and Sobosvai has been really, really good since he arrived uh, from, from, from Leipzig, excuse me. Like, I, I was really excited for this game, and at this point, it feels to me like we didn't really learn anything about either of these two teams. Like, Tottenham are still fun and probably good and Liverpool are still fun and probably good and that's it yeah I I broadly agreed Joe I I think in a weird way though I I came away thinking more of Liverpool than than Tottenham and that they were still, you know, they 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 react very well to the to the the first red card. Even when they go down to nine men, yeah, okay, they're not playing their usual high risk, high energy football. But the way that they set up with the the back five, the back three, and then wing backs who aren't really wing backs as a flat back five in a low block at that point. But the way that they react, they move uh, Mohamed Salah into a central position, so they have at least some threat 
on the break and the changes that, that Klopp made as well, just before the second red card, Darwin Nunes is, is about to come on. And you do kind of wonder how he would have impacted that game. And my mind goes back to the Newcastle game where Liverpool were down to 10 men and he comes on, scores twice and turns that game around. It felt like it was kind of set up for him, even with Liverpool playing with, with 10 men. But yeah, I was I was very impressed with how Liverpool, even in defeat, managed to yeah. react to what, what they faced. And I personally think they're the biggest threat. Even though they lose this game, and Tottenham are now a point behind City, I still think Liverpool, over the course of the season, will be the biggest threat to, to Man City after this. We should probably praise Tottenham a little bit, but I am going to continue the Liverpool praise. And I'm going to say, even before the cards, I thought they were really impressive. I thought the way they set out to try to limit what Spurs want to do when they're building out. We've talked in the past about how Spurs building out of the back is like very, 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 very risky that it can go very wrong, but they roll the dice. They gamble a lot with the idea that if we can bypass the press, if we can catch people in a position they don't want to be in, then we're going to make things happen. And I think for them to play such a, a high risk possession approach requires a high-risk defensive approach. And Liverpool committed six players into, like, the front maybe 40 yards thereabouts, like like around Tottenham's goal. But even the center backs, at one point, I think they only had two back to defend two or three Tottenham players. Uh, but it was Matip, I believe, tracking and, and really moving into midfield and limiting space there. Uh, and and it, the way they were able to kind of commit players into the, into the like, defense, but in the attacking zone... And and sort of even when Spurs would possess out of it, they oftentimes ended up back where they started. It wasn't really having much of an impact. It wasn't really causing Liverpool much difficulty. I think part of that, though, was a, a, a ridiculous level of intensity. And I think that's partially how Curtis Jones ends up picking up that red card. But even their defensive approach, it felt like the most successful I've seen this season at kind of using what Spurs are trying to do against them and force them into sort of bad pass and risky possessions. I think as the game goes on, there's more fatigue for Liverpool. Spurs able to become more dominant and threaten a lot. Credit to Allison for keeping this game the way he did with some very good saves. And Spurs, to their credit, don't end up capitulating. They don't end up kind of giving up. And, and I think there were moments when Liverpool get the free kick with like one minute left in extra time or injury time. It felt like similar to what we felt with Spurs in games past this season, that last year they would have folded. It would have been like, oh, well, opportunity missed. We'll, we'll, we'll settle for the draw. And this Spurs team continue to find ways, even if it's a player scoring an own goal. So it's a credit to them that they keep fighting and they keep trying to make something happen and they don't get caught at the same time because with how open they were with committing numbers into attack, there was a chance, a very slight chance, but a yeah. chance that Liverpool could have gotten something in this one as well. I think that that second Spurs goal, the winner, really does just come down to to team spirit, to be honest, because mm -hmm. until that moment, Spurs are really struggling to break through. In fact, right before the the Poro cross into the middle, I think it's Madison or maybe Kulisevsky turns back and the crowd goes, ugh, and groans because mm -hmm. that had been the pattern of the match for a long time. And it's one of the few times when Spurs are able to get to the byline, get you know somewhat in behind that Liverpool backline, and then they fire the cross um, in, into the middle. That's where the goal comes from. They hadn't really, they hadn't really done that. So this Spurs team are different this season. I don't think this was the greatest showcase of how they have changed under Postecoglou, but they, they did react relatively well to the, the circumstances. Does anyone want to hear something that sounds untrue but isn't? This is the most points Spurs have had after seven matches of a is Premier League season VAR thing? since... No, not VR, no. It's the most points that Spurs have had after seven matches of a Premier League season since... Does anyone want to guess? 
Yeah. Last season. Ever? <laughs> <laughs> 17 points after seven games. How did that happen last season? I, 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 that, that bends my mind a little bit. Wow. Antonio, Antonio Conte hadn't yet melted down, I think, is, is the big thing. They were still like, allowing don't, don't they always have what that? it was. Yeah, they were still yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what did it. <laughs> Maybe VAR was still helping them back then, Graham. Hmm, conspiracy theorists <laughs> say. Uh, the BBC calling both of these sides title contenders as well. And as you say, Graham, could uh, one of these two teams, maybe even Liverpool, maybe even Tottenham, could be the ones who give Man City the run for their money. Speaking of Man City, they did not win this weekend. Let's talk about that after this break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the weekend review. Wolverhampton Wanderers 2, Manchester City 1. Goodness me, Man City didn't win a game. Their undefeated season is ruined. Uh, let's throw it all in the trash. Pep Guardiola, you're fired. Ruben Diaz with a known goal here. Uh, he Chan Wang <laughs> with the other Wolves goal, the winning goal, after Hewlett Alvarez uh, had a free kick equalizer. Very nice free kick it was as well. Uh, Graham, this was the second loss for City this week after their yeah. League Cup exit as well. Um... What do you think? Shall we pep out? Shall we get it trending? Well, n- never mind pep out. I think Rodri back in is the key point for Manchester <laughs> City because they, they have missed him in those two games that they have lost. Yeah. And I thought in this match, you saw how important he is to this City team. Um, I think you saw the way that Wolves were very, very sharp in their transition play and their counter-attacking play. And yes, you need a bit of luck to beat Man City. And if you look at the, the stat sheet, you can you can see that luck, right? City were the stronger team by a number of different measures. They had a huge share of possession, something like 68 or 69%. They had 23 shots to Wolves 3. 
Um, they had the territorial advantage, but this is where soccer is weird sometimes because that actually, and I watched this game in full because I kind of wanted to figure out what had happened. It doesn't really tell the whole story because, as I say, Wills were excellent in those transition moments, those counter-attacking moments. They executed their game plan uh, perfectly. They were able to get into space on the break. They were able to activate Pedro Neto, who I thought was excellent, and Matez Cunha and uh, Hwangi Chan in, in one-on-one situations. They were able to create um, a good number of two-on-three or even three-on-three situations on the attack, and that's usually where Kyle Walker would be City's safety net. But Wolves have pace of their own. It's one of the, the few kind of qualities that they have an abundance of, and that gave City a, a, a lot of trouble. I don't know if, if Rodri is in that midfield, maybe there's a little bit more security. Yeah. I think he has a leadership quality that City were missing in this game. And Guardiola with Rodri, he will miss the Arsenal game this weekend as well, which could be a big factor in, in that match. He's got a three-match suspension. That'll be the last match of his ban. But with him missing, Guardiola really doesn't seem to know what to do because he used Rico Lewis and Calvin Phillips against Newcastle. I presumed Phillips would start pretty much every game that Rodri is, is missing for because he's basically the only kind of like for like, not in terms of quality, but in terms of profile in that City squad. But nope, it was Nunes and Kovacic in this match and they both looked slack in possession. So yeah, City need Rodri back as soon as possible. I think even though Haaland is a goal-scoring robot and Kevin De Bruyne is very good, I think there's an argument to be made that Rodri is actually City's most important player. It's gone under the radar, I think, over the last few years because maybe it took Rodri a little bit of time to adjust to Man City, but he is the best number six in the world right now, and I'm not sure how close that is. Now, City are still good enough to pick up points without him, right? They're still the stronger team of these two, even though they don't get the result, and credit to Wolves for the work they put in, specifically despite Taylor Rockwell after he said that they were in trouble. I think that's what happened. I, think that and was, also, I actually have in my notes that that was Graham Ruffin. I just want that uh, on record. I think right. it was Graham well, last week who said that Wolves were in trouble. I listened well, to was, every podcast while I was away. I, I have I have notes. I, knew, I know what was said. <laughs> I, Graham, I fully believe you seeing pictures from that trip. Um, I also think, Graham, you know, credit, credit <laughs> to you, right? Rodri has this red card for, like, throttling Morgan Gibbs-White, like, grabbing his throat. Graham, I think he was taking out his anger towards you after you called him a wet wipe on mm. Twitter. Uh, yeah, just whenever that wipe. was, a year ago. He's still upset about that. He took it out on, on Morgan Gibbs-White, and now Wolves have three points because of it. Graham, you're the architect behind all of this. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take just... a check from Wolves at every other title challenger, please. <laughs> <laughs> incoming for Graham. I can just imagine Pep criticising Rodri for lack of discipline while he sits on the sidelines uh, with a touchline ban for a lack of discipline also. Uh, wonderful stuff there. But yeah, uh, Taylor Wolves this season, you know, yeah. had a pretty decent, at least half a game against Liverpool as well. And then mm-hmm. they go and pull this. Nay bad. Yeah, and we're the better team uh, in their loss to Manchester United. I think that's pretty pretty fair to say. Uh, I stand by what I said up until this game, which is that I didn't feel like they were trending in the right direction. I didn't feel like their acquisitions and they were approaching their squad build felt to me like a team that was destined to comfortably stay in the Premier League. But if you're going to put together this organized of a defense and really frustrate City, who also frustrated themselves, I think you have to give credit where credit is due. I do feel like I sort of reverse jinxed them into winning. So totally my my uh, my credit there. And I think everyone will agree with that. Uh, when we talked about this, though, it was in the context of will Burnley be okay, right? Will they buy, will company eventually like get buy-in? Will the squad uh, start playing well? Will they survive? And I think the conclusion was yes, provided they're like, there are three worse teams than them. Luton making an argument that maybe they won't be significantly worse, but uh, 
Man, Everton, not making that same argument because they are not looking impressive and do not look particularly stable uh, at, at the moment. Uh, who knows if Sean Deitch uh, makes it the entire season? If he does, then that probably means they stayed up. If it doesn't, it means probably something else entirely. Indeed, you seg nicely to Everton 1, Luton 2 there, Tate. Luton's historic first ever Premier League win. Uh, of course, it came against Everton because <laughs> Everton. Uh, Carl <laughs> Morris and Tom Lockyer with the goals there. Tom Lockyer, by the way, collapsed in the playoff final not that long ago with uh, Arthur Fibulation, now scoring Premier League winners as a captain for Luton. That's pretty good progress for him. Uh, Graham, uh, Luton, we are staying up, say we are staying up or nah? Uh, it's steady on there. They're not going to play at Goodison <laughs> Park every single week. Uh, I wasn't sure where Luton were going to pick up a win in the Premier League this season, but uh, yeah, I should have known it. It would come against Everton. I think the most surprising thing about this game was that Luton were dangerous from set pieces and from crosses into the middle and they had a physical threat and they looked very effective when going direct and going quicker into the attacking players. And These are all things that in theory should play into the hands of a Sean Dyche team, but that is not how it panned out at all uh, and Everton got uh, out Sean Dyche by an opposition team. I did enjoy Everton's potential new owners being in town for the match, being in the in the director's box, box watching on, going, Oops. oh my God, what have oh no. we got ourselves into here? <laughs> and this is an ownership group that owns Hertha Berlin. So like the look on their face was very, very telling. Yeah, they know one when they see one. That's excellent. Um, <laughs> Taylor, in our, in our Patreon show preview last week, we talked about Villa Brighton, or you did specifically about it mm-hmm. being a game you're looking forward to this weekend. Were you expecting seven goals and six of them to come from Aston Villa? No, I was not. If you had told me it was a seven goal thriller, I would have thought it was like a four to three result. I thought this was going to be much more balanced, but it was not. Uh, Villa having quite a bit of joy in this game. I did not. I thought they would lose this game and I put Ollie Watkins on my bench in my fantasy team. And that was because it was a bad week for my fantasy team, but a very good week for Ollie Watkins. Uh, Gets himself a hat trick. Villa with Six goals, a, a, a pretty strong performance from them. I'm going to assume that Roberto De Zerbi saw himself linked with Real Madrid and either thought, I got to quash those pretty quickly so I can stay at Brighton and not have to do new things, <laughs> or maybe was uh, slightly distracted and things did not go his way as a result. Yeah. Uh, Villa were in third place on Saturday, by the way. They're fifth now. What a world we're living in. And uh, Taylor, congrats to you, by the way. Game week seven, still doing your fantasy team. Uh, you're a better man <laughs> than me in that respect. I'm determined <laughs> to not forget about it this year. I, I forget about it every single year, usually around week three or four. So I've already made some progress here, but I will stick with it mostly because I would like to beat Graham at the end of the season. Uh, Taylor, did you have any Brighton players? I had Estepinan, so that didn't go well. Yes, it did. Me. Negative points, baby. <laughs> yeah. Bright- Brighton are a funny team because that- that's twice now that that's happened uh-huh. to them this season where teams that have played this fast counter-attacking game against them have got incredible results. West Ham uh, did it at the Amex and Aston Villa essentially recycled that game plan. And uh, I'm stealing this analogy from the Football Ramble. Um, they-, they said that the Brighton are a bit like the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> where th- this was something that was said on the football ramp. Oh, you, uh, you, that's another podcast, Ryan Bailey. I, I don't know if you're oh, aware that okay. other podcast exists. Fine. Right. They know. said that um, Brighton are a bit like the Death Star, where they're very impressive, very dangerous, but they've got this little bit where if you shoot in the right place, the whole thing explodes, which I quite, uh, I quite enjoyed that analogy. And that, that, yeah, that feels fitting for Brighton this season. 
That is good indeed. Uh, Taylor, you're smiling. Let's try and turn it upside down. Man United nil, Crystal Palace won. Uh, Jaywalchim Anderson with a brilliant goal <laughs> in this one. United have lost four of their first seven games of the campaign, the first time they've done so since 1989 1990. Losing at home with 78% possession, baby. Uh, so We've got them right where we want them, Ryan. This is the plan. <laughs> this is totally the plan. Make everybody think they're terrible, and then they're going to spring some surprise. Yeah, it's not good, man. It's not good at all. Uh, and it's another week without any clear answers and uh, more injuries. It doesn't feel like it's going to get better. Uh, a lot of the talk is around. It seems like it started to shift towards, is there a problem with Ten Hag? Is he having a problem with his messaging or his public remarks or the way he deals with certain players? He needs better. Players. I'm inclined to say, I'm inclined to say it goes, yeah, we've only spent, but what, like $200 million this summer? I think we got to spend a lot more, says Eric Ten Hag. Uh, but I, I do still sort of go back to, I think, I'm inclined to think that it's just the rot at that club. That, and I was talking with some buddies about this, and the best way I can explain like where my theorizing is on this one is just that if, you're, if the Glazers take over and they're running the club as a business, let's say there are 30 people operating the Manchester United laundry, and you only need 20. Like, 30 people doing the job 20 people could do. So maybe they laid off 10. Like, this is all very hypothetical, but it's my best way of explaining it. Like, so maybe there were 10 extra employees, but maybe because of that surplus, you had one person who was, like, really good at at chatting with the players and very good positive energy. And so that person was up front, like, taking the laundry. And and when players would come in, there would just be a little bit of rapport. Maybe you had specialist people who worked on, like, fixing like boots or fixing guard, whatever it may have been. But I think when you start to lose personnel, when you start to have the club run more as a business, less as a community-oriented entity, which I think it was, I think there's just going to be noticeable differences in the overall happiness and the overall vibes. And I think that starts to bleed into the club at some point. And this just seems like a very unhappy club from top to bottom. It's not helped by individual players and really poor performances. I watched a few different videos sort of breaking down their tactics and there is a, a, a very compelling argument that certain players are not doing what is asked of them, are not pressing when they're supposed to, are not pressing how they're supposed to, uh, and in the areas of the pitch that are ideal. And then you don't have players tracking back. There's a lack of accountability and a lack of effort consistently from this team. And so it feels like the players aren't really performing up to the level they should be. The manager isn't getting the performances out of them. But then the club itself also seems pretty listless and pretty without ideas, short of maybe selling or maybe threatening to be sold so it doesn't seem like it's a thing that's going to improve anytime soon and it's a credit to crystal palace that they take their chance and then they frustrate and basically say you've got to come beat us you've got to break down a compact defense and we don't think you will and they were correct yeah usually when a big team loses to a smaller team we spend at least some time talking about how the small team did it taylor you did that just just there and i was going to do a little bit more (laughs) but like I think it's telling that with Manchester United, we tend to jump immediately to the dysfunction of that club, right? Because Mm -hmm. that feels very real and it feels like it's easier to beat Manchester United than it's been in a very long time or there are more ways to beat them now than there have been in quite some time. And I I whispered it there. Which which I agree with. I agree with that. It's just that's also insane. (laughs) Like that is that is ridiculous that that is the case. But yes. And I whispered it into the mic there. I don't know if it came across or not. Like... there are the, the reality of rot is very real and the dysfunction of this club, it's, it's very obvious that it's dysfunctional. You, you look at this squad. I did this after maybe it was a Champions League game or maybe it was a recent Premier League loss. I just don't know how you look at this group of players and think like that is a team that should be 
near the top of the Premier League table. Like, I, I just cannot fathom it when you look at the starting 11 that Manchester United put out on the field. I, I don't know how you look anywhere else. I'm not saying that Manchester United haven't spent money and tried to go out there and find players. Maybe they haven't spent as much as fans would like. We've talked about that before on the big thing and other episodes as well. It, it's just It's just not good enough. Like, I know that is so simplistic, but the player quality is the biggest actual, like, on-field tangible issue that certainly has roots in some of the other things that Taylor described. It's just it's just not a surprise, frankly, at this point when Manchester United are dropping points at home to a team like Chris, the, the, the fighting Chris Richards, which is now what I'm calling Crystal Palace. <laughs> I, I, I like that nickname. I was, I was confused by why Hannibal didn't play in this game. I wrote about him last week, and it felt like his emergence had been one of the silver linings for Manchester United from this, this injury crisis and from this difficult start to the season. And in particular, out of possession, he'd become really important with his pressing and energy, and he carries a goal threat as, as well. So I'm a bit confused why he came out of the midfield for this match, and Ten Hag went back to the Casemiro-Mount-Fernandez trio, which didn't work at the start of the season and guess what it still doesn't work so yeah I, I agree that there are bigger issues at Manchester United but also Ten Hag's decision making there yep. didn't make much sen- much sense to me I'm also going to give a little bit of credit to Uncle Roy um, who yeah. has now masterminded what is it five he's unbeaten in his last five away games at, at, at Manchester United in the league which for an owl a man who looks like an owl is quite <laughs> yeah. an incredible uh, record you know when um so when YouTubers get like the trophy when they have a certain amount of views, Roy needs one yeah. of those for like untra- old Trafford uh, undefeatedness, right? When does well, he just give one? him a part of the? Well, he gets a part of the roof every time he visits because ah. there's Mate. not much of that roof left by the yeah, by the literally um, there was a it's just falling down a video. Down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He could get some like golden sunglasses that just fall down onto him as he uh, as he walks onto the field. That would be nice, wouldn't it? And, Wonderful. And story. I would add like. Credit where credit is due, because I've also uh, heard my Manchester United supporting friends who are inclined to see the positives say, well, there were a ton of injuries for Man United. You didn't have key players. Malassia still out, Regulon out, Luke Shaw out, Martinez, Kopimainu, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Uh, and I would point to the fact that Crystal Palace had seven players out injured. So a, a Palace team that certainly haven't spent nearly as much money, that don't have the resources or theoretical depth of Manchester United, with seven players injured, still able to get that result. Yeah, I think Uncle Roy deserves whatever he wants from uh, the crumbling facade that is Old Trafford. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, Joe, just for clarity. It. Loving when, it when these you, days. Um, so happy. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm sorry that I had to turn the smile upside down. Taylor, You're not. But we had You're to not editorially. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I love it. I actually love this failure of Man United's part, if I'm honest. Um, Joe, just for clarity, uh, you mentioned that we should talk about the small team when they come to these kind of situations. Were you referring to Crystal Palace in not, in this game, or was it no, which one was it? I was, of course, referring to Manchester United, Ryan. You know this, right? Very well. Thank come you. Yeah. Well, Crystal Man- Palace, mentality. Have a palace. They can't <laughs> exactly. be that small. They're the established Made Crystal. The roof doesn't leak in the Crystal Palace, Graham. Let's say <laughs> no, that much. Uh, all right, a couple more games to talk about from I the Premier League West. Funny. West Ham 2, Sheffield United nil. Sheffield United still only on a single point. David Moyes, this was his 900th game as manager. When does he become Uncle David? Maybe soon. We'll, uh, we'll see about that one. Uh, Newcastle 2, Burnley nil. Burnley's defence still a little leaky. Uh, still only got a single point, like the aforementioned Sheffield United. And Arsenal going off at Bournemouth. Uh, Saka, White and two penalties here. Kai Havertz with one of the penalties. His first goal for the a petty club. penalty. I think they call that. Okay. Um, what did what do we make of this one, Graham? Uh, funky kits was my uh, main notes here. Funky kits for Arsenal. Yeah, funky 
Funky has been kind. Those are the ones that they wore at the All Star Game, right? Yep. I think Joe and Taylor um, are still their retinas are still recovering from from that experience. <laughs> but yeah, pretty comfortable stuff for Arsenal in this game. Uh, so comfortable as you referenced, Ryan, that they allowed Kai Havertz to take a penalty. Didn't have much pity for uh, for Bournemouth though. Interesting to see Gabriel Jesus used on the left again with Enketia through the middle. No Martinelli at the moment, otherwise he'd obviously be starting. But it, it works quite well having Jesus on on the left and having Enketia as the the penalty box player and um, so I think there's there's encouragement that Arsenal have maybe a little bit more depth than they did at this time last year where Nketiah wasn't really a factor in, in in that team we did see some out of possession issues for Arsenal in the North London derby so I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on those against Manchester City this weekend and how City exposed them but Bournemouth were never able to expose those problems and it was pretty routine for the Gunners. It was indeed. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll go around the continent, including but not limited to Bayern Munich's visit to Ebi Leipzig. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attentions to Germany. RB Leipzig 2, Bayern Munich 2. Leipzig with a 2-0 lead in this one. It didn't end up with a 2-0 lead, though. Kane and 
Kane and Sane. Kane and Sane. When that's written down, that's hard to say. Uh, with second half goals to split the points. Uh, Kane's... Well, as long as you're doing that, Derek Ray kept calling Kingsley Coman King Coman. Is that has he has he shortened his name? Has he decided he wants to be called King? Like I He's get it, like, King Coman is, is a dope name. Tight. But that's incredibly tight, is what that is. Yeah, but I also liked Kingsley Coman, the Harry Potter character slash Bayern Munich player. So I'm not really sure what to make of King Coman <laughs> as a name. But uh, Ryan, I like your portmanteaus as well. Uh, yeah, it, uh, uh, deliberate as they were, Taylor. But having a name that can be shortened to King is pretty yeah. King worthy in, yeah. in in essence, anyway, isn't it? Uh, Taylor, did we watch this one? What do we make of this one? Uh, Leipzig uh, blowing the two 0 lead here. Yeah, that is exactly what I made of this one. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really captivating. I think at the end, I was I was maybe slightly disappointed that Leipzig didn't hold on because I thought it could have been a really interesting, like narrative push that here, here's Leipzig basically doing what we know Bayern or can be done to Bayern. They can be vulnerable to those kind of direct attacks and and uh, quick passing and quick pressing, and it was really effective from from Leipzig in the opening. And they get up to that two 0 lead, but they really made Bayern look completely not at the races i've never seen byron misplace that many passes under hit so many passes they kept presenting opportunities for leipzig and they just straight up looked rattled and they didn't look like they had much of an answer and for whatever reason i think leipzig just decided to sit off a little bit more and maybe the idea was we'll invite that pressure we'll soak it up and then we'll hit them on the break i can see the logic in that but i also think when you have byron munich when you let them sort of get reacclimated and settled and then let them play their game especially their attacking game you are opening the door and then when you have silly mistakes like a defender jumping in the air to block a set piece turning his back and lifting his hand all at once you run the risk of conceding a penalty and once it's two to one it always felt like Bayern were going to get more and justifiably so because it felt like they started to apply lots of pressure especially when Leipzig were trying to build out that they became very much the ball dominant team they were creating chances there was a good 15 minute period when they just fully suffocated Leipzig and it could have been a couple goals if they'd been sharper or Leipzig had just been a little bit less sharp but for how strongly RB Leipzig were able to start this game it was a pretty meek finish in my mind and they got a little bit better when they made some changes in the second half and went back to more direct play it felt like that had been very successful for them uh, and then they bring on uh, Sheshko and have a few opportunities there credit to Ulrich for the uh, very good 1v1 kind of breakaway save that he pulls off but that directness sort of went away and I think had been a huge problem for Bayern and Leipzig just kind of took their foot off the gas in that way and let them right back in yeah I I don't think really Leipzig started this game particularly well. I think they have some good moments, Taylor, but I thought from the jump here, Bayern Munich were the better team. They were controlling the ball, certainly, which doesn't always mean you're the better team, but Leipzig weren't creating anything. Like, they didn't have any chances prior to that opener from Luis Openda, who is a a very, very talented, still mostly young forward, playing as as really part of a front two for RB Leipzig in what's 4-4-2, 4-2, one of those shapes uh, in this game for Marco Rosa, they didn't create it much before that. It's a lovely goal that very much does expose some of the weaknesses that pop up when you play like Bayern Munich play, where they push numbers high up the field, they play a high defensive line, the center backs are still getting to know each other. It was a great bit of play from them, quality all the way around, off of a throw-in in their own half. Paulson controls it, lays it off to Schlager, who then threads it into Openda in behind. It's it's a really nice moment from them. The other thing that I, I thought really played into Bayern's deficit early on in this game is their goalkeeping I thought Sven Ulrich was mm-hmm. really really poor in this game he's got a boo-boo in the 12th minute where he tries to come out and sweep up play like Manuel Neuer style 
and he ends up just passing the ball to a couple of RB Leipzig players who just take a shot. They, they take a pot shot, basically, trying to expose the open yeah. net, and it goes wide. But that was a, yeah. a massive mistake. And then on the second goal that, that Lukaba scores in the, in the 26th minute, it's a corner kick. Rom hits a, a really nice inswinger with his left foot. Ulrich comes out trying to catch the corner or punch it away or slap. <laughs> I mean, he, he gets his yeah. angle all wrong, basically. And so he ends up in no man's land, and he can't make a full play on the ball. And then Openda heads, heads it across, and it, it's another goal. It's 2-0 at that point. I think with a little bit better goalkeeping, this game looks different. Now, to Leipzig's credit, I thought defensively they were actually fairly good for the beginning stages in their front two. They blocked off access to Kimmich and Goretzka, made Bayern go long. Bayern also at times want to go long because they have more speed than anybody in the Bundesliga. But still, it, it wasn't a complete Leipzig performance. It just wasn't a complete Bayern Munich performance either. And when you don't put them all the way away and Kane scores a penalty and Sané scores in the 70th, like then, yeah, you're gonna rue you're gonna rue sort of how you finished out and, and only picking up a point. Joe, one thing I would I would push back on though is like what you just said about Leipzig. I would extend to Bayern Munich. I don't have the only attacking moment I have from them in the first half is when they take that free kick uh, very quickly and then it's a through yeah. ball from Kane to Musiala. Uh, he goes one v one and that shot is saved. And that is the opening minutes. So like credit where credit is due, they they get their opportunities. But I felt like Leipzig. Similar to what Liverpool were trying to do to Spurs, committed six and seven players really high up the pitch to frustrate the build and really limit what Bayern were able to do. And I don't have them doing much for the rest of the first half. I have Harry Kane picking up his first yellow. I have more chances for Leipzig. You're right that they didn't create a ton of chances, but I would even look at that Ulrich, the, the mistake in the 12th minute that you spotlighted. That's Bayern getting caught in possession twice that leads to that sort of ball that Ulrich comes off his line and then passes back to them. And then the shot goes wide, but Bayern have just so many shaky moments that I'm not used to seeing from them. So I think I'm inclined to give Leipzig at the very least credit for the defensive approach and how they limited Bayern themselves. No, Taylor, I think that's a great point. And something that I I didn't think about enough. Yeah. I thought about some of how Leipzig defended tactically. And I I think there was wisdom in that from Rosa and, and Tuchel saw that and changed it up in the second half. He goes to a single pivot and it becomes a, basically a 4-3-3 with Kimmich as the lone number six. And it's Guerrero and Luciala, I believe, as the two free eights much higher up the field. And Bayern changed the structure so that they can play around or play through or play over in a more, more triangular kind of ways past Leipzig's defensive front. But, Taylor, I, w- I was just thinking about this earlier in yeah. the week. Like, I guess it's Monday, so maybe last week. Yeah. How, how we don't tend to value defensive contributions so much in soccer because either – we just straight up aren't paying attention to them because the ball is the fun thing to watch or yep. because maybe maybe this is more of a me thing than any of you guys. We don't have stats that really reliably tell us about how teams defend. And so I, I tend to think so much more about attacking and those mm-hmm. kinds of structures than the defensive side. But you're, I think you're spot on to credit Leipzig because even though they weren't creating chances, Bayern, to your point, didn't create much either in the first half. Harry Kane was anonymous for large stretches of this game, which has not happened in a Bayern Munich game that I've watched so far. So, yeah, in the first half, certainly Leipzig do deserve credit for how they defended. Two other little notes from this game. Uh, One, you mentioned him earlier. Did anyone else completely miss that Rafael Guerrero had signed for Bayern Munich? Because I absolutely did. And when he came on, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, when did that happen? So that was a surprise. Less of a surprise, but still surprising, is just how good Jamal Musiala is. Uh, and, And watching him in this game, he is... Press resistant in that he kind of keeps his composure and can keep the ball moving and doesn't often get caught in possession or his passes or crosses aren't aren't easily cut out. But also he individually on the dribble is 
so good like with tight control but i think also in this game so much faster than i realized and he's able to just slalom through defenders regularly especially in the second half i thought he was looking at everybody else on the pitch yeah i thought he was the most impressive performer for either team uh and and so though it's kane who gets the the goal uh for the for the penalty it's sane who gets the equalizer for me musiala was the most impressive player in this game so just wanted to spotlight him for a quick moment Thank you very much, Tato. Why do we take he our plays attention for England, now? Right, Ryan? Doesn't he? Is that where he plays? Hmm? He should. Oh, should. Oh, yeah. what a shame. Sliding doors and all that, right? What could have been? <laughs> yeah, <it's>, um, yes. <laughs> why do we go to Spain? Girona nil, Real Madrid three. Graham, I boldly predicted that Girona would cause an upset in this I game. I heard that. They didn't. They didn't do that. It's just Lucio Mini and Bellingham with the goals here. Late red card for Nacho too with a pretty bad tackle Oof. on Porto. Left him uh, leaving the field on a stretcher. Put Madrid back at the top of the table. Did this one. Yeah, sorry. Just before Graham goes, because I do want to wind Graham up and let him go. Uh, Ryan, you made your prediction. And then I said, I believe Real Madrid will win by multiple goals and that you would be wrong. And I was I correct. So it wasn't just that Ryan was wrong, but also that I was right. Graham, continue. Oh, That's and actually, before, before we let Graham continue, we should also add uh, back to the geography debate in which Ryan said that <laughs> what, Casa Grande was basically Phoenix. Ryan, I hope you noted in the Discord that somebody pointed out that the distance between Phoenix oh, and yes. Casa Grande is the distance between Wimbledon and MK Dons. So I hope that was a fun realization <laughs> for you that they are not in the that. same area at all. Uh, I love that. <laughs> Settle down, Taylor. I heard how you pronounced Girona last week. So, yeah, I know. You know. There, there is that as well. <laughs> I lo- I, yeah, this was by the way, this- the ESPN broadcasters got a note because they said Girona for the pregame show and the first two minutes of this broadcast and then suddenly came back with Girona out of nowhere. And I'm pretty sure somebody said, you're saying it wrong. I listened to the Total Soccer Show. Was it you? Sounded Did like you send idiot. them a note? <laughs> <laughs> no, if I, were sending Alejandro yeah, Moreno, if I were sending Ale Moreno a note, it would be not about his pronunciation and more about his overall vibe and approach to covering Uh-oh. games. Yeah. Uh-oh. Well, the vibe in this game from uh, Girona Mm -hmm. wasn't particularly good. A bit of a disappointment because, as Ryan outlined last week, um, there was a real sense that this might have been an opportunity for Girona, who were top of La Liga. They've played some excellent football so far this season. And Madrid came into this game having lost the the derby the week before. But they basically swept aside Girona. (laughs) I have to say that the the, the first goal, the the first Hosselu goal, comes against the run of play. Girona started very well, actually. Um, but then Real Madrid just their individual quality shines through there's an outside of the boot assist from Bellingham for that goal which was outstanding the second goal comes four minutes later from Chiumene and then the match is only going one way from that point I think one thing we learned from this game and it's combined with what we saw from the Madrid derby was that the the Modric Tony Kroos era really is over for Real Madrid I think they will still feature so Tony Kroos starts this game but I think starting them together in the midfield three that Ancelotti is using with Bellingham slightly further forward it doesn't really work they started the derby against Atletico Madrid they were picked off a lot of the Spanish coverage has focused on those two players there's been some reporting that Modric and Kroos are unhappy that Real Madrid are not backing them up enough in the media um, so that's an interesting storyline but that that was the first time they'd started as, as I say and the, uh, Modric goes down to the bench for this game and it's Valverde, Chiumene, Bellingham with Camavinga at left back and Kroos in there as well and things clicked again and Real Madrid they were quite happy to concede possession but when the opportunity is there for them to go forward it's so quick and incisive and there was the standard Bellingham 
goal as well. So, yeah, I really do think the Modric and Kroos era, Real Madrid have, have moved on from it and they now have better options in those positions. They do indeed. Real Madrid with a nice, tasty matchup against Napoli this midweek as well in the Champions League. Looking forward to that one. Barcelona with a 1-0 win over Sevilla. Graham Sergio Ramos with an own goal to settle this one in his 34th league match against Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tempted to block... I... Oh, this is a good stat for you. He attempted to block a cross from uh, Lamine Yamal, 16-year-old Lamine Yamal, who once held Ramos's hand in the tunnel when the Barcelona... When, uh, when he was a mascot, a club mascot. Fun fact for you. Wow, I mean that just that makes me me feel sick that there's someone that young playing for yeah. Barcelona and, <laughs> and and doing that well. Um, Sergio Ramos, I think, probably felt a bit sick after this game, scoring this own goal. I could not believe I was watching this one live. I was looking forward to it on Friday night. I couldn't believe that it was Sergio Ramos who'd put it in the back of the net. The the cross is kind of fizzed across the, the the box. It's similar to the Matip own goal in the in the Spurs Liverpool game, and so it wasn't immediately clear who had done it. And I'm basically praying Sergio Ramos, please be Sergio Ramos, that goes to the, the replay. And indeed, it is Sergio Ramos. Um, Barcelona have certainly played better than this in recent weeks. But even in this slightly underwhelming performance, you can see the profile of this team now. And that is a difference to the first five matches or so of the season where they didn't have that identity, where you couldn't really see what they were trying to do. So the performance level here was lower than they would like, but there's still an identity. There's still framework there. And that is, that's a big change. I thought Sevilla did a decent job of stifling them. They had a number of decent chances to score themselves. I thought uh, Luke Bacchio in particular gave Barca some real trouble with his directness and a campus as well was, was dangerous, but Barcelona edged it in the end. Cancelo was fantastic again. The way that he drives inside and opens up so many more angles for Barcelona has become very, very important and very effective in how they play very quickly. And yeah, he's been excellent since signing and, and was probably the, the best player on the pitch here. Joe, who was the best player on the pitch here? Who is it? What's his name? Wow. His name is Jay Wow. <laughs> Jay Wow forever. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Serie A, let's go there. 4 0 wins for both Inter and Napoli. Uh, Inter getting a 4 0 win at Salernitana. Lataro with four goals there from the bench, all in 27 minutes. That's a pretty good half hour of power from uh, Lataro Martinez there. Um, Napoli with a 4 0 win at Lecce. Victor Osserman also scoring from the bench in this one. Didn't really celebrate if you uh, check out the uh, footage yeah. of Did that. Did Napoli one. make fun of him this week on, on TikTok? I yeah, think. no, no TikTok. TikTok misbehaviour on their part, it seems. Uh, and Milan with a 2-0 home win over Lazio. Who got the opening goal, Graham? Who was it? It was Captain America himself, the LeBron James of soccer, Christian Pulisic. Ooh. I think uh, th this was a much-needed good performance by Pulisic, who had gone off the boil a little bit after a good start to the season. I can't remember what game it was, but there was a game recently where he actually doesn't start that purely drops him to the bench. So this was much needed. This was timely for him. And I think the most encouraging thing about this match for, for him was you can see in real time his teammates starting to understand his movement, which is really, really important for him. There's a chance in the first half where Pulisic, he dribbles into the middle from the right side. He spreads it out to Rafael Leao and then he times his run to be on the penalty spot when Leao gets into a, a, a position where he can either take a shot or cross the ball. And in this instance, Liao lashes it into the, into the side netting. But the next time, there's a similar scenario. Liao cuts it back for Pulisic, knowing that he will be in the, the same place. And that's where the first goal comes from. And Teo Hernandez did something similar that resulted in another good chance for Christian Pulisic. So th that run has been a feature of, at least when he's playing well, that run has been a feature of Pulisic's game for a while. And it's good to see Milan tuning into it and, and, and activating it. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, this midweek, by the way, Milan going to Dortmund for the Pulisic derby. We'll look forward to that one as well. We go now to Joe Lowry and MLS Corner, and we congrat we offer congratulations, I should say, to the other Queen City who done a thing, Joe. They did. They done a thing. They won the best trophy in Major League Soccer, the Supporters Shield. They have been the best team throughout the regular season in Major League Soccer this year. It's impressive for any team. I do think it is even more impressive that FC Cincinnati won this trophy after being the worst team in Major League Soccer in their first, not one, not two, but three seasons in the league. They were the worst team in MLS last year after Pat Noonan comes in as manager, Chris Albright comes in as their chief soccer officer. Things change. They hit on so many signings. There is a clear tactical vision from Pat Noonan. They become a legit MLS team last year and become a very, very good MLS team in the process, making a little bit of a playoff run. This year, they take that and they turn it up to 11. The mixture of player quality and having who will be the MVP, we talked about it with Goss last week in Lucho Acosta as their number 10. Now it looks like the chemistry between Bupenza, who was brought in midseason to replace Brenner, and Brendan Vasquez and Acosta is getting better, moving Alvaro Barreal from the midfield where he struggled to the left wing back spot where he has been one of the absolute best chance creators in all the major league soccer has been a stroke of genius from Pat Noonan to use that back three shape to really allow Barreal to thrive, nailing the center back signing, getting Miazga, getting your Mosquera into this team. There's so much quality. It's not a perfect team and, and Cincinnati could get balanced in the playoffs because MLS is just that tight between the good teams and the, the maybe mediocre teams and then even between the mediocre teams and the bad teams. The margins aren't wide, but Cincinnati have been very clearly the team at the top of that pile. They beat Toronto FC 3-2. to two. They claim the Supporter Shield trophy. Awesome stuff from FC Cincinnati. Joe, did you see did you see Doyle's tweet about FC Cincinnati since you've highlighted all the positives from them and how strong they've been this season? Uh, I saw it was something along the lines of winning four trophies in five seasons. Is that what? Or yep. maybe it's the other way around, whatever it is, right? <laughs> yeah. Some of them were spoons. Um, some of them were spoons. But now it's something else. Now they have a plate, so a supporter's shield to go with all that stuff. I mean, I just have so much love. It's a great bit from Doyle. So it's a great kind of words, too. I just have so much respect for what Cincinnati have done. Like, it shows the value of going out and spending money on things that can truly differentiate yourself, right? MLS imposes restrictions on your roster. And yes, you can go out and sign three players and they can elevate you. And FC Cincinnati's designated players have elevated them, but every other team in Major League Soccer can do that as well. They can go out there and sign three high-level DPs. They can sign some good players, but why not go out there and try to increase your hit rate? Why not go out there and try to find non-player pieces of your club that can transform your fate? And that's exactly what Cincinnati did with Pat Noonan, with Chris Albright as well, going out there and, and finding things that don't relate exactly to your squad of 26 players or whatever it is, right? The crew did the same thing with Wilfred Nance, having quality members in the front office as well. Building out the non-player parts of your organizations is something that so many MLS teams seem to neglect or seem to be way okay, way, way too okay with accepting the status quo when they could go out there and, and have a, a genuinely elite combination of decision makers and players, which is exactly what FC Cincinnati have. Indeed. Uh, into Miami with a 1-1 draw with NYCFC, Joseph. Um, the Messi era, after starting so brightly, is concluding with him maybe not playing again? Yeah, not not this season. Now, we don't know this for sure, but it is feeling more and more like Messi will not play another meaningful game for Into Miami. No, Into Miami can can help themselves a little bit with a, a couple of huge games 
they've got coming up, but we've got the international window coming up in, later in October. Messi, we assume, is going to be on international duty with Argentina. So there's issues there adding more games to his plate. It, it feels like, even if we do see Messi, Ryan, it, it feels like sort of the rug has been pulled out from under into Miami a little bit, and they're slow. And I mean, like, snail's pace slow start to the season has come back to bite them fully. They are fighting an uphill battle to make it into the playoffs, and, and hopefully Messi's healthy enough to play for them if they get there. But I would bet against them making the playoffs at this point. Yeah. And if they don't, this has to be the longest Messi will go without playing soccer, right? I mean, I doubt he gets a loan or something like that in the offseason. No, I don't no, see no. why he would want that. So, I mean, from like the beginning of November or earlier until what preseason starts back up, he'll play for Argentina. But I have to believe even if they miss the playoffs, he ends up coming back like rejuvenated, refreshed. We would hope maybe he makes too many public strips and then ends up coming back heavy. Who knows? Uh, but it is a fascinating moment that I, I cannot remember a time that he would have gone this long without playing a consistent number of games. Yeah, I hope he doesn't find that deli in the uh, Publix's tail because those those sandwiches <laughs> are delicious and that could really affect his offseason. It really uh, could. I think it really we'll could. Find- yeah, indeed. Uh, other business section, we go to PSG, who belong in the other business section. Their worst start, Graham, under their Qatari owners. A nil-nil draw this weekend at Clermont. Uh, Luis Enrique's side have 12 points after seven league games, which is not very good. Yeah, to, to us, this seems like a bad result for PSG. But <laughs> consider they had 70% possession, they played more than double the passes of the opposition team, and they drew nil-nil, as you mentioned, Ryan Bailey. And Luis Enrique must be absolutely delighted. They yeah. call that a Luis Enrique hat-trick in Spain. Yeah. So, yeah, things are going well by his measure. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> they face Newcastle on Tuesday. It will be interesting to see that one. Um, we had another abandonment, uh, unfortunately, in the Eredivisie this weekend. Welwick against Ajax abandoned after the home goalkeeper, Etienne Vassim, was knocked unconscious. Uh, looked very nasty, that one. He was treated on the pitch. They had a screen up. Um, they said he regained consciousness while um, he was taken off on a stretcher. We wish all the best to him and all involved with him. Uh, Joe, NWSL. Uh, it's uh, reaching its uh, conclusion very soon. It, it is. Only two games games left basically in the regular season and I am not uh th- this is not a typo a verbal typo all 12 teams in the NWSL are still eligible for the postseason I-, I do not understand how this has happened there was something like 700 different playoff impactful outcomes that could have happened based off of this past weekend of play it is ridiculous it's also awesome I'm in- I'm incredibly entertained by what's going on even the Kansas City current in last place 12th in the NWSL still have a chance to qualify for the postseason. Are they going to? No, they're not. But it is absurd and is blowing my mind that all 12 teams are mathematically still eligible for the playoffs. The end of the NWSL regular season, I mean, basically all of this season has been very, very entertaining, and it's not looking like that's going to slow down anytime soon. So much parity, Joe. You can just feel it coming from that league. Wonderful stuff there. Uh, WSL had its opening weekend, conversely. Uh, uh, Graham, did we catch any of this? I did, yeah. There were a few good games. The The biggest game um, was Arsenal against Liverpool and, and the biggest result as well. And the biggest crowd, actually, was at that game where uh, Liverpool pulled off a, a shock 1-0 win 
in front of a record-breaking crowd of 54,000 fans. So it's fantastic to see the, the carryover from the World Cup. I think that has been a factor in, in, in that attendance. Arsenal generally do a, a very good job of activating their, their fan base for the, for the women's team. So that, that was good to see. Um, it was Mary Taylor who got the winner for, for Liverpool. Arsenal are still missing some key players like Beth Mead and Leah Williamson and uh, Viviana Miedema. So the theory is that they will get stronger. But this was a bad start for them and they are under a little bit of pressure and looking ahead to next weekend we have Arsenal away to Manchester United the Alessia Russo derby which is on Friday night so we'll be making a point of watching that and then Man City Chelsea on the Sunday as well so some big games in the WSL coming up excellent stuff all right weekend consider yourself reviewed Taylor should we do a quick um 15 minute VAR prologue just to close out or should we get out of here what do you think no Good. All right. Taylor, thank you very much for joining us on this journey. <laughs> thank you, my friend. Well hosted. Well rhymed. Thank you. Oh, you're too kind. I, I won't get over Kane and Sane. I need to work on Kane and Sane. Is that his name? Oh, yeah. No, it's you good. should feel shame. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Graham Ruthven, thank you very much. Welcome back, my good man. Check complete. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> hey, Joe Lowry, our Italian correspondent. Thank you very much again, sir. Thank you. I think Ryan should feel shame, Taylor. Maybe not Maybe not shame. I think it should be shame. Hey, very good. That was a lame joke, Joe. Very lame. It was. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! Bye!